Foxes and Fowl is a movement committed to exploring and responding to the unexpected ways that God is moving and speaking in and around us. This podcast is part of that. We want to have conversations that matter with folks in all kinds of walks of life because we believe that the God of the Bible so often shows up in surprising and everyday kinds of ways. We want to pay attention and talk about that and just maybe be changed by it all. Thanks for joining the conversation. Hey, welcome to the Foxes and Fowl podcast. I'm Aaron. My guest today is my favorite one ever, but I'm in no way objective about that. Kate Miller's my wife. She's a vocational homemaker who's spent a number of years thinking about what exactly that means. And she recently completed a master's degree in theology and the arts from Regent College, which helped along the way. We talk about a number of things, so stick around afterwards for some things I'm taking from our time. And until then, I hope you enjoy my conversation with Kate Miller. Mrs. Catherine Miller, uh, what a pleasure to see you this morning. Welcome to the Foxes and Fowl podcast. This is this is a lot of fun. Thanks for doing it. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. <laughs> of course. Um, you know, in, in this first season of the podcast, we've talked uh, with each of our guests about the idea of vocation, kind of what we're supposed to do with ourselves, how we figure that out. And, and part of that has to do with the fact that we're located on a campus where lots of people are thinking about <laughs> what they're supposed to do with themselves and how they ought to live their lives. But I, it's also important to me because I think it has much to do with what it means to live an integrated Christian life or to use sort of more traditional uh, language, what it means to be a disciple. Uh, and uh, how we spend our time says something about what we believe about God. And, and my thoughts have developed a lot about this over the course of the years, because I've had the privilege of walking and discerning with you as you sort out your own sense of vocation, which hasn't always been exactly straightforward. <laughs> I think you'll agree. Um, so I, I'd love for you to tell folks a little bit about that journey uh, from your perspective and, and maybe something about where you are now. Sure. I think as you said that, I was thinking, oh, I was working out my vocation, walking alongside you, working out yours. So I think, um, you know, we are, we're a team, we're in a partnership. And I think that's, um, you know, where we were at together at the time on a university campus studying together. Um, so yes, I, I am confidently a homemaker now, but I certainly didn't start out that way. Um, I think if you would have told 18 year old Kate what she would be doing when she was 38, I think, I mean, she would have laughed at you for sure, but she would have also really resisted. That was not, that was not the path. That was not the thing. So um, when you and I met, we were um, studying English literature together and my my journey was to be an editor that's what i was that's what i was going to do i was taking writing courses um, and after graduation the plan was to do a postgrad diploma program in publishing and i think i remember i think i made it to two classes and then skipped the third class before i dropped out um, knowing that it wasn't something for me that I would have I would have lost myself 
there. And I think that that's, um, I, I'm, I'm so grateful to have known that then and not have woken up, you know, decades later realizing that that was just the bad, the bad choice. Um, so, I mean, it felt, it felt a bit of, like a bit of a failure um, at the time, but, you know, you, you work towards something, you invest a lot of money in something, you do this um, university degree that you think you're supposed to be doing, and then you decide not to. I mean, it's, um, it can be crushing for people. Um, so I, the, the fallback to that was that you and I were starting our relationship and uh, that was a really good thing. And I was able to, um, you know, hitch my wagon to, <laughs> to <laughs> you in a lot of ways. Um, Glad to be your and, right. Um, and that wasn't, you know, that was sort of um, not the plan either. I didn't want, I didn't see myself as being someone who would get married, as someone who would have children. Um, and, and yet I found myself in that circumstances that I was falling in love with you. And that was, these were our goals and values for sure. Um, so as you decided to go into ministry, I was sort of like, phew, let's, let's do your thing. That sounds great. That sounds like a very logical plan um, that, you know, we knew we'd, we'd be moving around. We knew that you'd be in seminary for a while. And at the good advice of the people who love us, we were encouraged to start our family and um, we were blessed to do so in that weird, you know, four year upheaval period of life when we knew that we weren't going to be settled and we might as well just have babies so <laughs> that um it and it worked out um the uh what i what i'm saying in all of this is that we um this was sort of the circumstance of our lives this was not necessarily a planned out thing. And uh, being in it and responding to it was sort of the thing that allowed me to kind of step into this, this role of being at home. Um, you know, when we got married, I don't think I really knew how to cook. I don't really think that I, you know, was particularly skilled at hospitality or you know cleaning or you know any any of those sorts of hallmarks of what we think homemakers ought to be um, I don't think I was necessarily I didn't have that sort of like predisposition to the to the work of it um, but I mean I just had to kind of do the things that we needed to do to uh, make a good life for ourselves um, so that by being in it helped me sort of try to make sense of it is that, you know, I found myself, I was really liking it. I found it very gratifying and um, felt free to experiment and play and be creative and was never bored. 
um, the bored housewife image was not something that I um, ever felt or ever experienced. Mm. Uh, so that I felt challenged by it. Um, and uh, we had to make a lot of choices. There were lots of things that that meant that we couldn't do. Um, I mean, not bringing in an income um, and that also shaped future decisions, the way in which we um, decided to home educate the, um, the journey into foster parenting that we did um, and also where we were located. We've moved around a bit. Um, so all of those things were not reactionary, but but certainly in response to something much larger. Um, and for many years, I thought that was your call, that it was in that the things that I were, was doing was in service to your ministry. Um, and in some ways, it was and still continues to be. But um, you know, fourteen years in, I think it is it is its own thing. And uh, I plan on continuing to keep up this role. Mm. Thanks. Uh, I'm, I'm delighted to hear that. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, it's been interesting to watch you kind of try help, help people understand that what you do is valuable work, which I think is, is something that happens in, in all kinds of vocations. Uh, they're not always recognized as the most glamorous, but, but homemaking as a vocation is um, something I think it's taken you some time to, to be able to articulate in a way that was satisfying, not just to you, but to others who expected, you know, this young, educated, uh, really intelligent and capable person to be pursuing. Uh, yeah, absolutely. The, um, I mean, it's a, it's a conversation stopper. What do you do for a living? Oh, I'm a homemaker. Well, what are you going to say to that? And I've had a lot of responses. Some people have been like, oh, like, like you must be so proud and fulfilled. And, you know, what a wonderful, <laughs> what wonderful, like self-sacrificing work you do. Like we need more, we need more moms like you in the world which makes me dry heave. Like, I just, I can't, I, that, that sort of idea that this, there's somehow something noble, inherently noble about homemaking is weird. And it's a cultural weirdness. That's not, we bring that kind of garbage into it. The other um, equally devastating thing is women who wish that they could be at home with their babies who wish they didn't have to end their maternity leave to go into work that has to pay the bills or, you know, work that they like, but they're just so completely torn. Um, and having to make the decision, like they wish, they really do wish they're really envious. They're really, um, that they're, they're giving something up by doing work outside of the home and, that's hard to hear too. Um, so I, I, we, when we think about homemaking, um, or let me put it this way, I, I talk about 
being a homemaker and not a housewife. I talk about being a homemaker and not a stay-at-home mom, that my marital status and my fertility and you know who's who makes up the my home life the people in this place isn't isn't the thing that shapes my work Mm. that being a homemaker for me is more of a a placidness that that the place of it matters and whoever is in, in not just in these walls, but in the sort of realm of my responsibility, that's um, that's the sort of care work that I wish to be doing. Mm. Um, so, I mean, I I really that's really hard to sort of say at a cocktail party, you know, <laughs> that that I've I've had to really sort of not be so dismissive to people who who don't understand why in the 21st century a a young woman would want to do this work without the assumption that I'm my values are super traditional or you know that being a pastor's wife predicates the work that I'm doing at home or the fact of our homeschooling our children sends a message of, Mm. you know, where our, where our um, values are. I just, you know, knowing, knowing how, how I fell into doing this sort of on accident and loving it um, makes, makes the difference for me. Mm. I like, uh, I'm not sure I've ever heard you express it quite uh, as, you know, the, the choice to, call it homemaking rather than stay at home mom or, or uh, whatever, whatever other term we might apply. And, and that, that seems to be something that kind of works for you, that this kind of reframing of things. And one of the uh, phrases that's floating around our household these days is maintenance art. <laughs> uh, and I, I, um, I think that pairs really well with this kind of uh, notion of of integrated Christian living, of discipleship, of our whole lives as worship. But I'd like to, uh, you know, maybe first tell us what in, what maintenance art is, how you came across this term, and 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 what it, um, you know, why it matters to you, and maybe how reframing things kind of changes what you do. Sure, um, I'll I'll start with a definition, and then I might have to hedge back and forth on on where why this is important and where it came from. Um, Maintenance art is a term coined by and the artist Mural Euclides, um, who was working as an artist in the 60s doing quite um, avant-garde things, controversial things. And then she had a baby and, you know, was sort of like really offended by the fact that she was like, well, I guess I'm not an artist anymore, that that was the assumption that she, that was that she was supposed to, you know, give up her vocation to do these care duties for her family. And, you know, she really resented that and then thought about it, thought about how, well, you know, pure invention, that artistic invention, is actually, I mean, there's a lot of 
care work, a lot of maintenance that goes into that. Anyways, she wrote a manifesto, um, Mural Eucles, look her up, she's great. Um, and my reading about her helped me understand that it, it helped me to continue to reimagine my vocation and, and infuse it with the understanding of artistry in that in those terms. So in tandem with that, I've been also trying to work out the ways in which art and craft differ from each other. I would say I would I'm more confident to describe myself as a craftsperson. I like to make things with my hands. Um, and I think that there's skill involved in that and doing that that repeated action and getting better and better. Um, and the way in which that often that is perceived differently as art. So I've been also working out in a very formal way um, through an education program to <laughs> known as a master's degree. <laughs> <laughs> that that both that they're trying to heal that rift trying to re trying to integrate art and craft together that there is we've done a disservice um in in thinking that art and craft are separate from each other and i had to do that by doing basically like a case study <laughs> of um of a craft that I do. Um, so I was looking at Amish quilt making and the way in which the art world sort of took that form and claimed it, um, even though the making of those things was not any more or less art than craft. Anyway, um, so what I'm finding, so by reframing the things that I do is maintenance art. So things like repair, things like um, tending a garden, things like cooking. These are not, we don't necessarily think of these things as art forms unless they sort of stand in place as though they were you know, static, something to be um, observed or consumed or, and so, understanding that those things need tending and care um, is helpful for for me to sort of see oh yes there is something artistic about about these things yeah it's uh it's been neat to kind of watch uh how, how that's changed just the way you move through the day uh, i think my favorite my other favorite reframing is your to-do list is called side or <laughs> side quests. <laughs> I think, I think it's uh, the, these things, these sort of active reframing. Um, I mean, it's, I'm not coming, I'm not making this up. I'm stealing this from other people in other places. So one of the things is, I mean, I'm so hungry for um, the way in which other people are, make their lives work. And looking at those things and being like, oh yeah, I should adopt that. That looks really great. Um, so the side quest thing, I think that was an internet meme that I was like, oh, I could, I should do that. So <laughs> that's what I started doing. And that, I mean, that's a to-do list. Those are things that 
you know, those are little stupid things that I don't want to do, but I need to do um, that aren't necessarily the main adventure, mm-hmm. the entree, but have to get done. Yeah, That's all. It's just making it a little bit more fun. <laughs> great, art- great artists steal, right? That's right. That's, good. That's right. Uh, so on my walk to work this morning, I was listening to an interview with uh, the marvelous Seth Godin. And uh, I, he, he quoted um, Elizabeth King, an American artist. Uh, and I immediately texted this quote to you because I thought it was just so... Um, <laughs> you, I just knew you would love it. Uh, and the quote is that process saves us from the poverty of our intentions. Which is just brilliant. Um, you're one of the most process-oriented people I know. Um, I, I hope to be like you when I grow up. Uh, so I, I'd love for you to tell us kind of how this quotation resonates with you and how it plays out in your daily life. I think, so we all know what the road to hell is paved with, <laughs> right? right? <laughs> all my, all my best intentions, you know, um, let's talk about it biblically, you know, Paul saying that, you know, I do the things that I'm not supposed to do and I don't do the things that I'm supposed to do and um, even even if I set out to do even if I'm like the most intentional person if I don't have the practice behind me my it's just going to fall short it's just going to fall short so and I mean, I'm struck by the word poverty in that quotation. I think that's really great that there is that the the opposite of that is is richness, is wealth, that there is a wealth to be offered by by having a structure to buttress us. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was thinking about, you know, how to explain that, how to, you know, make that a little bit more concrete. And I think I learned really early on in caring for young children that it doesn't really matter what you do but there has to be a routine to it so so i'll give her give a really you know mundane example which was you know every tuesday we've got story time and you know i don't necessarily know what I'm going to be doing, you know, a month from now, but on Tuesdays, we're at story time. And having that on the calendar, knowing where that's going, made all the difference to our week, our, the way that we moved through the day. Um, I was also thinking about, do you remember when we used to do uh, Friday night treat night? Yeah. And how, you know, it, it Friday night treat night was sort of this like thing that, I mean, it was totally arbitrary. It could have been Friday night or it could have been Saturday night treat night or whatever. It didn't really matter what the, what that, when that happened, but instead of, a, you know, trying to always negotiate between being a permissive parent and being a restrictive parent, we could say, sure, we will have ice cream on Friday maybe not dessert tonight, but on Friday, we can do this really fun thing. And I mean, that just gave structure to 
our best intentions. Mm. And so, I mean, that's, those are really, really silly, but I, I mean, this is, um, so I have a, I have a weekly mending practice and I've had a weekly mending practice for, I don't know, a hundred and some odd weeks. Um, I don't, it, I don't know what I'll be doing <laughs> next month, next year, but on Mondays I'm mending. That's just what I'm doing. And mm-hmm. I think that that, um, that's kind of that kind of thinking that way of ordering my life really keeps me on track for doing the things that I want to be doing. That's great. Um, I'm curious about, uh, you've got a lot of projects on the go. Is there anything you're really excited about coming up? I, I do have a lot of projects on the go. Um, and I think, one of the things that I'm currently working on today is day 65 of, or maybe it's 66, of the 100-day project, um, which is, a, again, an arbitrary process-oriented project, which is working on something creative every day for 100 days. It doesn't have to be 100 days, but in this case, it is. So for the next 100 days, I'm working on a quilt. Um, One of the things that I do is I make quilts from our family's discarded clothing. Um, And this is, this is what I'm working towards in these hundred days is making very small incremental steps in the process of, for the intention of making this larger project. Cool. And people can check that out where? I play around on Instagram a lot at K-V-I-I-I Miller. Kate Miller. That's awesome. Um, well, I, I want to I thank you for taking the time to talk to us a little bit. And, uh, you know, I, I think um, one of the remarkable things is that in this process of just doing the things that need to be done, you've also discovered that you are, in fact, an artist. Um, and, and that's been a neat, neat thing to the journey alongside of and and altogether unexpected <laughs> when we got you know when we started this thing which i will say is almost 15 years of marriage not 14 um but <laughs> in any case i'm delighted uh, to be able to do that and and i think you are uh, somebody that people can kind of look to to imagine what their life would be like if they were doing the things that really brought them joy and and um and doing them with intention. So thanks for taking the time. You're so welcome. Hey, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Kate. Here's a few things I'm taking away from our time. I like how she talked about both the knowledge that she would have lost herself if she'd pursued one path, but also that stopping felt like a failure. I think there can be a real tension as we try to figure out what living faithfully looks like. And what's more, that figuring that out wasn't really an intentional work of discernment, but just trying to respond in faithful ways to the circumstance of our lives. Now, obviously, some circumstances need to be abandoned in order to live well, but sometimes the best option is to pay attention to where we actually are and live faithfully in that place. 
Next, I really do like the way that Kate reframes things in order to help her do the work that needs to be done in order to live most fully. Is there something in your life that could use to be reframed? It seems to me that Jesus spends a lot of time in the Gospels reframing people's ideas about what matters and how we're made to live. And finally, that quote I texted Kate from Elizabeth King is, process saves us from the poverty of our intentions. This is something saints of every generation have known. It hits right at the heart of the value of spiritual disciplines like prayer and scripture reading, and meditation and reflection. And it reminds us that in both life and in faith, nothing is done except one step at a time. Thanks again for listening. Thanks to the Foxes and Fowl team, the University Hill Congregation, and the Pacific Mountain Region of the United Church of Canada for making this all happen. Thanks to Davis Miller for the tracks. Until next time, grace and peace.